my lockdown experience um, was that uh, I felt very blessed to a certain extent um, in that as a nurse I was able to carry on uh, going to work. Um, I didn't have that extreme isolation which so many people experienced during uh, lockdown because every day I was going into work, I was able to um, interact with other people and do something which obviously I felt was uh, very meaningful um, and contributing uh, to helping others. Um, I work at Valindra Cancer Centre locally, um, so every day I would walk into work um, and walk home again. And I've often used those times when I'm walking home from work to, to process uh, if a day has been stressful, if the day has been anxious. Um, and that was a time that during lockdown in particular, I would often be talking to God on my way home, um, very often uh, calling out to him because I didn't understand why this was happening. Um, and it was a difficult time and quite stressful during work as well. Um, obviously, it's a very difficult time for anybody uh, going through a, a diagnosis and, and treatment for cancer. And so I'm very familiar with trying to help to support patients uh, and their relatives during that time. But during COVID, it was particularly difficult and very difficult decisions were having to be made uh, about uh, whether or not patients should commence treatment, which would reduce their immune system, which means that they would be even more vulnerable to COVID. So not only was there fear and anxiety around having cancer and a cancer diagnosis, but also those very, very difficult choices having to be made about whether or not to go through a treatment which could potentially uh, increase their risk of having um, life-threatening complications from a COVID diagnosis as well. Um, personally, I found it very difficult not being able to go to church, to, to meet up with congregation as normal and, and made me realise just how much um, I do rely on other people um, to help to sort of uh, to bounce off with uh, concerns and to discuss faith issues etc. Um, that's having said that obviously very much appreciated being able to connect uh, online which was really helpful. And I suppose the key point of, of my uh, sharing with you today is about a particularly difficult time that I had in work, which was on Good Friday last year, um, when I was on duty and at the end of the shift, uh, we found out that one of our colleagues uh, who'd worked with us for many years at Valindra had actually passed away. That was a very difficult time for everyone. I was senior nurse on duty and um, I had to try and support my colleagues. Uh, we're a very small, close-knit community. Um, and it was a very difficult um, and upsetting time. And on that day, walking home from work, I was very much crying out to God and feeling quite numb, I suppose, and not really understanding why it had happened. And it suddenly had become very, very real um, that this was uh, life-threatening um, and a very difficult situation to be working in. Um, this was something that I cried out to God for. I never, ever got to the point where I didn't talk to God, but my, my crying out to God was very much a, I don't understand and I can't hear you in this, what is happening? A few days later, walking home from work, again, talking to God, asking him, you know, 
help me make sense of this. I don't understand. I then all of a sudden it was like my eyes were opened and I could see everywhere on the pavements, in windows, everywhere I looked, there were rainbows. And that to me just opened up my eyes and I suddenly turned to God and said, oh, thank you. That's your message of hope people may have put those rainbows in the window for all sorts of different reasons but to me it spoke to me of God's love of God's hope and the fact that actually um, the, the rainbow only comes when the light shines through the darkness and shines through the storms and the rain and I just it reminded me of just how many times in the Bible God has said I will be with you not I will take away all your pain I will take away the need to suffer but I will be with you through it and after that um, it was like I was filled again with some joy and could make sense a little bit and say I, I can trust you God I know you're here I don't understand it but I know you're here with me. In just a moment, we're picking up the Prophet's Diary again and jumping in at chapter two. But first, here's just a quick recap of where we're at. After 49 years living as powerless slaves scattered all over the world, God suddenly moves the heart of King Cyrus and the Persian Empire mysteriously and miraculously allows the Jewish people to return to their homeland. Fast forward 16 years and the temple which had once stood as the very symbol of God's presence in their nation still lies in ruins. The people have busied themselves building their own houses and not just houses, panelled houses. They were living in luxury while all the time God's house is still just rubble and ash. Someone needs to call the people to action. Enter Haggai. Through his prophetic voice, God awakens the hearts of the people and the work begins. However, just one month into this massive building project and discouragement kicks in. The original temple designed by King David, built by King Solomon back in the golden era of their history, was huge in scale and beauty and vision. And this generation had nothing like the wealth or the influence or the resources to begin to match it. The memory of what had been before now hung over them like a huge shadow, threatening to drive out all their passion and drown out all their confidence. But God was not about to allow their story to end here. On the 24th day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Yeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
In a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and the desired of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. I grew up in the valleys and I remember as a teenager hearing about a band from Blackwood uh, that everyone was just buzzing about, the Manic Street Preachers. Uh, and so I toddled off down to Woolworths, do you remember that place? Uh, and I bought their first album, Generation Terrorists, on cassette tape, do you remember those? Uh, with little things called coins, I don't know if you remember those. Uh, and uh, it was great, it was, it was really edgy, it felt really dangerous, it felt really different. Uh, and it was just amazing to see a Welsh band on top of the pops, do you remember that? Okay, that's getting a bit sad now, isn't it? Uh, and a while later they released their second album and there was a buzz about it growing. Uh, the lead singer said that they had recorded the greatest rock album of all time. And as it turns out, they hadn't. It just bombed. Uh, nobody seemed to like it. It just didn't have as much uh, of the hits on it that the first album did. Uh, I guess after the initial success of a first album, recording what's sometimes now called a difficult second album is kind of tough. You have your whole life, years and years, to write songs and hone them and to pour out that into one album. And then you might have a much shorter period of time. Uh, and you, I guess you're always just comparing it to what's gone before. Are these lyrics as good as the ones we wrote the first time? Are the tunes as catchy as the ones we, we wrote the first time? Uh, will we capture again that magic spark that the first time seemed to have? They're, they're not the first band, far from it, uh, to struggle with what is sometimes now called uh, Difficult Second Album Syndrome, D-S-A-S, -S, Difficult Second Album Syndrome. Sometimes we all experience it in life, don't we? That, that horrible feeling that we have already peaked, that what we once were or once what we once did or how we once were or how we once did something, uh, it, it, it's elusive now, it's away from us. There was some sort of lightning that, that struck that's not likely to strike again. I don't know if you feel that way from time to time as you look back uh, over your life. Uh, that has the, has the best gone? Uh, is it behind me now? Will I ever be in that place again? You know, often the danger is not the first experience itself or even the success itself, but the story we tell ourselves about that experience or about that success. Uh, we conveniently in our minds tidy it up a little bit. We conveniently forget uh, people who helped us or long nights of worry or graft or sweat or tears that, that we poured into it. And stories can often become bigger in our minds and the bigger they get, the harder it becomes to craft a sequel that will come anywhere near it. Uh, there's an author, Tobias Wolfe, and in his book, Old School, one of his characters puts it this way. Explanations and stories get cobbled together later, more or less sincerely, 
and after the stories have been repeated, they put on the badge of memory and block all other routes of exploration. As we dive back in to a prophet's diary, to Haggai chapter 2, uh, what we see very clearly is the power of an old story. The people are very much struggling with difficult second temple syndrome. They're about four weeks into this building project. The site of the temple has been left for generations, for decades, to, to become completely derelict. It's a ruined site and after four weeks of work, this rumour starts to grow. They've, they've whispered it to each other, they've muttered it under their breath, they've said it to themselves in the long nights of doubt and worry. This just isn't like it used to be. And it's not just not like it used to be, it's nothing like it used to be. The original temple built by Solomon, uh, the, the wealthiest man on the planet in his day, if not of, of all time, had so much resources to, to throw at this. The wealth of a king, uh, the wealth of a kingdom at his disposal, the, the human resources that he could pour uh, in, into this, that this generation simply have no access to. Uh, they're people without identity, people without influence. Uh, and as they stop and, and look at the result of four weeks of work, it shows. It's just not like how it used to be at all. And Haggai comes and tells them, God has heard your fear. God has heard the rumour. God has heard your worry. I wonder in my relationship with God and, and yours, whether there's a sense of difficult second temple syndrome, uh, whether we've experienced something uh, of the presence or the power or the passion or the peace of God in our lives. And rather than fuel the journey, rather than become a catalyst, it's become a cause for concern. Uh, we worry, we fear, will lightning strike in the same place again? As we seek to build a place for God in our lives, as we seek to build a life in which God can dwell, uh, where, where we can dwell in God, we can sometimes have that nagging fear. Will it ever be as good as it was before? Now, let me be really clear. I'm not talking about that natural process of maturity. You know, that journey that we all undertake in, in, in the journey of faith, where something of the excitement of discovering the gospel, the grace of God in Jesus, the love of God at the cross, uh, the excitement about that moves deeper, doesn't it? And it becomes a, a, a very personally held conviction. Now, hopefully we don't lose all of the excitement, but it just moves to a deeper place within us. That's natural. Uh, in fact, that's a very healthy thing uh, as part of the journey. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the doubt, the worry, the fear, the, the plateau, the drop off. Will it ever be like it was before? I remember a while ago, um, praying for somebody who I've prayed for a, a number of times over the years uh, and she's seen the Lord move in her situation in, in powerful ways again and again and again uh, and there was one time when I prayed for her and the, the Lord moved again uh, in her situation and she confessed afterwards I wasn't expecting that 
Uh, and when I asked her why, she said, well, I kind of feel like I've had my miracle. And I wonder if, if you've ever been there, that rather than those things become a catalyst that fires faith and inspire faith, it can become something that, that we just feel like we've had our quota. Uh, it's not that we can ever just demand things from God. We shouldn't, certainly should never become complacent uh, in our relationship with God. The loss of wonder uh, is the loss of life in the spiritual walk. But you've never out-resourced God. You've never outdone his resources. We, we, we've never he's never fulfilled his quota for us. He is always the God of the immeasurably more. The problem for the people of God in this season, as is often the case in, in every season, is not the building that's in front of them that they can see with their eyes. It's the building in their mind, in their mind's eye, in their imagination. Uh, it's the story it's the legacy, it's the history, it's too heavy, it is too much to bear. And that there's nothing wrong with looking back, is there? There's nothing wrong with, with wanting to learn from the past. We're encouraged to do that. But there is a, a right way to look back and there is a wrong way to look back. See, what the people of God forgot in Haggai's day is that it was not Solomon who built the temple. It wasn't down to him and his brilliance or his resources it was God it was Solomon himself who wrote that psalm unless the Lord builds the house they labor in vain those who build unless the Lord watches over a city its watchmen watch in vain Solomon was the first to point away, away from himself and say it, it's God who has done this it's God who has provided this See, what made the temple so precious, so important, such a powerful symbol, was not its past, but the presence of God within it. And so again, to this generation, the Lord breathes these words, be strong and work, for I will be with you. Goes on to say, my spirit remains among you. And Haggai prophesies that others will contribute uh, what is needed, that the gold and the silver, it is God's to give and, and he will give it. And, uh, and he does that. You know, King Darius actually makes some um, opponents to the temple contribute out of their own pockets to the temple. Uh, we know in, in Jesus's day that the King Herod, uh, for all kinds of political reasons, contributed to the restoration of, of that temple. So Haggai's prophecy does come true. God does provide all that is needed. But for now, know this. This will be the house it once was and it will be greater than it once was because I will be with you. It's not just individual Christians who can sometimes get difficult second temple syndrome. Uh, I wonder if sometimes if whole churches can. You know, at this season when we're trying to restore and rebuild and reopen, it can be very easy to think, yeah, but it's not like it once was. 
and it's not let's not pretend it is it, it's very different to sing behind a mask it's very different to stand socially distanced apart it, it it's very different to do church online it, it is different but what makes these things so precious and important and powerful are not our, our past but the presence of the Lord and he says to us afresh through the words of the prophet I will be with you and my spirit remains among you these words my spirit remains among you are so important uh, when the first temple was built it was based on the design for the tabernacle uh, that the, the Lord described to Moses for, for a, a meeting point a worship place as they journeyed through the wilderness together uh, and there's chapter after chapter in, in Exodus where God is really specific about uh, the way in which this, this tabernacle is to be constructed. And then when you get to chapter 31, uh, what's really interesting then is that the Lord seems to release some of the design for some of the elements of the tabernacle to two individuals, uh, Bezalel and Oliab. Uh, and he says to them, they can design the furnishings, the uh, architecture, the instruments even for, for some of this, because I have filled them with my spirit uh, and they have my, my wisdom. They have my knowledge within them. And it's almost like God is deliberately echoing this now to the people in, in Haggai's day. You know, what made the temple so amazing was not the skill and the design of the people of the day but it was my spirit at work within them and my spirit remains among you and there's a word for us here i think as a church in this season my spirit remains among you you know don't just look back to the things that you did or the people that did them or the ways in which you did them and think that because those are gone church is gone because those aren't there god somehow isn't there i will be with you and my spirit remains among you you know if we have the lord if we have his spirit among us what more do we need We're going to come back to this prophecy uh, in a future session because there is so much here that is so important, that is so significant. But for now, uh, I just want you to land on, on those two phrases and just to sit with them for a while. You know, whether you're suffering tonight with difficult second temple syndrome or however you want to describe it, or whether you will uh, in the future, do you know that the same Lord who you met at the cross of Calvary, where, where your faith was ignited, where your passion was, 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 was stirred, where your spirit became alive, where your sins were forgiven. The same Lord who time and time again has touched your life with peace and passion and power is the same Lord who is with you right now. Yes, in a different way. Yes, in a different place. Yes, in a different season, but the same Lord. Uh, yes, there are challenges for each and every one of us and for us as church, but his spirit remains among us. Jesus tells us that the Father gives the spirit without limit, without measure. 
which means that for each and every one of us there is a deep resource whatever the scale of the challenge and however inadequate we feel right now the lord is with you his spirit remains among us and so there may be things that need to be rebuilt it might be something physical in your life and you're just lacking the energy or the vision or the motivation it might be something emotional that has been robbed and broken and needs to be nurtured and revived it might be a heart of love or of grace that's been hurt and tainted and just needs to be healed it might be a spiritual thing there might be something in your relationship with god that is locked in a moment and that is hidden somewhere somehow buried in your past that the lord is wanting to revive right now and i know that is possible because his spirit remains among us impossible yes for me impossible yes for you impossible yes for us but the lord is with Father, we just invite now your spirit to be at work in our hearts and lives. And show us the ways that you've been at work. Maybe, Lord, at times we, we've credited other things or other people or ourselves, but open our eyes afresh to who you've been to us, who you've been for us, of where you've been at work in our lives. And where faith has faltered, Lord, would you strengthen? Where vision has dimmed, Lord, would you heal? Where resources are low, Holy Spirit, would you refill? And where life has become empty, Lord, would you dwell? Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.